Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening, Lloyd. Well, this evening we have a great show. Right now we have a field interview. We're sitting in beautiful Newport Bay on a boat called Spirit Soaring with two gentlemen that came all the way, one from the East Coast and one from Colorado. And they're friends of mine, and they're wonderful people. I'm going to tell you about Evan Hendricks and Madison Ayer, and they are with us sitting right here. First, let me tell you a little bit about Evan. He's been on our show before. He's terrific. I've been getting his privacy times for, I think, 15 years now, and we've known each other for years. And I'm so pleased that I've, I've met Madison before as well. So let me tell you about Evan. Since 1981, Evan has been editor and publisher of Privacy Times, a bi-weekly Washington-based newsletter that reports on privacy and information law, including the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which we've talked about many times. He's researched and written many articles on congressional and state legislative actions, judicial opinions, and all sorts of consumer news. Evan has been qualified to be an expert in federal court as well as in congressional hearings, testifying on identity theft, credit reports, privacy, social security, and lots more. And he's consulted with numerous companies, including ID Watchdog, of which Madison will tell you a little bit about it. He's the author of several books, which I have read, I'm glad to say. First one, which is his most recent, which he's done before, is Credit Scores and Credit Reports, How the System Really Works and What You Can Do. Also, Your Right to Privacy, A Basic Guide to Legal Rights in an Information Society. And Former Secrets, Government Records Made Public Through the Freedom of Information Act. Evan is a real expert considered by the media as well. Oh boy, he's been on lots of shows, including Nightline, World News Tonight, NBC Nightly News, CBS News, CNN News, lots more. And, oh, actually, the Oprah Winfrey Show. We can't even forget that. So much more. Geraldo, me too. 
And he's frequently quoted in major newspapers, including the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, New York Times, tons and tons. He is an expert and a great guy and really brilliant. And you can find out more about him at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy, where we've got his complete bio, and also at privacytimes.com and you can also find out about his newsletter there and thank you for joining us Evan I'm just going to introduce Madison and Madison who is his partner in crime right over there is wonderful young gentleman he is vice president of strategy and policy for ID Watchdog you can find out all about ID Watchdog at idwatchdog.com Madison develops collaborative relationships with consumer advocates, regulatory agencies, consumer protection groups that are concerned with identity theft protection and privacy. Madison takes the lead as ID Watchdog's representative and helping to define best practices and industry standards within the identity security industry, and that's a huge issue right now. Madison began researching identity theft solutions while he was working with an accounting firm in England. And he's also worked as a venture capitalist for Boulder Venture Partners before co-founding a successful credit consultancy in 2003. And now he is vice president of strategy and policy for ID Watchdog. You can learn more about him on our website and also at idwatchdog.com. Thanks, guys, for coming all the way to California. Well, thanks for having us back on your award-winning show, oh, Mari. It's yeah. great to be here. <laughs> well, it's fun. We're sitting here. Is it a lot warmer than it was back home? Uh, only about 65 degrees warmer. <laughs> That's right. How about you, Madison? It was pretty cold back there in Colorado, too. Well, when I got on the plane to come out here, it was minus 5, not including the wind chill. So this is slightly better. So are you guys becoming California residents right now? <laughs> yeah, instant conversion, yes. <laughs> That's why I thought I'd take them out on the boat. Unfortunately, I don't own a car, so I don't believe I'm allowed to be a California resident. <laughs> That's true. You need one here. So so let's get started, guys, because you have so much to share with us. Evan, you focus on consumer information reports. Why don't you explain to my audience all the different reports that are compiled out there for consumers? Well, it first starts with the, the mainstream credit reports, which more and more people know about these days. Uh, the credit reports have your credit payment history and might show if you've ever had a bankruptcy, a tax lien, that sort of thing, and that's used to judge you when you're making credit. But people need to understand that there's a whole nother world of consumer reports beyond just the credit report. For example, people that apply for jobs, increasingly employers do background checks. And there are different types of consumer reporting agencies that will provide a public record search to see if there's a criminal history, convictions, or other problems in someone's past that you know, might disqualify them for a job. You don't want someone who's been involved in child abuse working in a school, for example. The problem might kick in if they have uh, someone with the same name but they don't check enough to see if someone with the same name has a bad record and the poor victim gets tagged with stuff he never did. Now, there's also uh, apartment rentals. Uh, there are landlord and tenant, tenant screening reports is another type of specialty report. Um, there is the Medical Information Bureau which has information on what kind of insurance claims you've done just as the company Choice Point, one of the bigger consumer reporting agencies, has history of your driving record plus any ins auto insurance claims or a separate one is homeowner's insurance claims. Uh, it's quite a lengthy list. Uh, now they're getting to the point where there's some new consumer reporting agencies that have records of what prescription drugs 
that you've used and that so when you apply for health insurance some health insurers are checking those records to sort of understand more about your history and and, and it's just it's, it's very difficult for the consumer to keep up with this proliferating world of the other consumer reports because the technology makes it so much easier now to compile the information store it and sell it right so madison what do the consumers seem to know about this i know you know Evan and I are, are a little bit more savvy about it because we're, we're reading about this all the time and researching all the time. But what about the average person? Well, there's, a, there's really a party going on, an information party, but the consumer was not invited. Right. And uh, so the unfortunate situation is that the, the average consumer isn't aware of all this information that's out there. Um, as Evan mentioned, credit reports have, uh, in the last few years, become a household name. But beyond that, there's very little awareness of what's out there, how it's being used. Um, and again, the system has been, uh, it's really been set up without the consumer's involvement. It's been set up by industry to, to promote marketing interests and uh, risk-based decisions, etc., but the consumer has traditionally never played a big role in it. And so without, without participating, the consumer's left in the dark a little bit. You know, it's not just the, the companies that are compiling this list. When you think about the, the no-fly list and the watch list, we don't, that's really not transparent for the consumer. And then we interviewed somebody about the no-buy list. You know, if you're on a list that perhaps you're, they think you're laundering money. So there are in this digital age, we are just all around us are all these lists that we're being compiled about and where uh, information is being compiled about us. It's quite scary when you think about it because everybody else knows about us but us. Isn't that true? Well, and the scariest part about it is there's very little in the way of standards that are observed day in and day out. Like it's just a lot of people, the government does the no-fly list, and they, they, you know, something happened where they had something on some guy named Dave Nelson, and next thing you know, there's 16 Dave Nelsons that can't get on an airplane because of this no-fly list. You're talking about the um, the Treasury Department's OFAC list, which is supposed to be the really bad people, uh, drug right. dealers, narcotics, right. terrorists. I've seen a case where a woman had, you know, last name Cortez spelled differently than the woman in Colombia, but she got detained at an auto dealer trying to get a loan because the information was sold out there. So Carmen w- Diaz also. Yeah, yeah, there's yes, Carmen Diaz, another <laughs> another example. Lots of lots of uh, celebrities as well, exactly. Oh yeah, and that's the thing. This is an equal opportunity uh, buster in terms of like when things you get on the wrong side of the algorithms. You know, they don't care if you're, you know, just a, a working stiff or a celebrity or a journalist. They, you know, you're just out of luck. Yeah. You know, I, I recently had one of my fellow sheriff reserves who's one of the sergeants that's, you know, really well respected in this community. And he couldn't get his driver's license because another Jim Carter had had some DUIs back in Washington, D.C., and he couldn't get a driver's license. He had to call me, and we had to go through all this rigmarole because he was on some list that wasn't even him. I mean, not the same birthday, not the same Social Security number. So these lists are pretty scary. Madison, so how can the average consumer get more educated about finding out about this information about themselves? Well, there are a few things that the average consumer can do. And first and foremost understand that you've got to you've got to go out there and know what's being reported about you there's a lot of information out there about you 
and it's better to know what it is than to be in the dark. And sometimes what we see is a lot of consumers uh, are a little bit scared of knowing what's out there. <laughs> and so they tend, to, they tend to deny that it's there. Um, they ignore it. They, they just try to hide from it. But it's, since everybody else is looking at it, do yourself a favor and look at it yourself too because you need to know what's there. And, and the thing that I think the practical reality, it's not humanly possible for any, even me as an expert, but especially for just average folks that try and take care of their family, you know, pay their mortgages and, and go to work, to keep track of all of the databases that are out there. And also, of course, we have the scourge of identity theft looming in the backdrop. And that's why, you know, I've worked with Madison and we, you know, helped form this company called ID Watchdog because we wanted to have a one-stop shopping place where consumers would be able to have a service like ID Watchdog, which can monitor your information throughout these databases to see if there's a change in it that means something bad could be happening or if something's happening at least you can stop it and correct it it might not be identity theft but it might be computer errors but the whole idea is that you need to be as plugged into your information as all these companies out there that are buying your information behind your back right so Madison why don't you tell us a little bit about the types of databases that that ID Watchdog taps into so that they can make that available to consumers? First of all, there are a couple of financial databases or financial consumer reports that are important, um, starting with the credit reports from the three main credit bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. There are also consumer reports out there about uh, checking and debit card history. So every time you, you cash checks, when you use your debit card, uh, information about your banking accounts and whether you've been overdrawn, uh, there are reports out there to monitor all of that. Then you have to start thinking about other aspects of your life. So all kinds of health information is out there about you. Medical records are there. Prescription histories are there. Um, criminal records are out there. And surely, if you're not a criminal, you don't want to have a criminal record. But you'd be surprised at how much that happens. And that includes uh, open wants and warrants. So if you were to be pulled over and there was an erroneous uh, record for you, you could be arrested. Uh, you need to know this kind of thing. So there are a lot of different reports out there. So Evan, isn't it true that, there, that a lot of these consumer reports are free if you go to each one of them separately? So we should say what those are. It's just that it's kind of a hassle for the ordinary right. person to go out and do all this. But let's talk about right. what is free and then what couldn't be. It's similar well, to like the consumer credit reports. You can get those for free. Right but you can also have a credit monitoring. So why don't you tell us well, about the free Well, and th thanks for pointing that out. Y you, as under this federal law, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you have a right to one free report every year from every consumer reporting agency, starting with the credit bureaus, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, but also including ChoicePoint, LexisNexis, um, one called USIS, Intellius, um, and then ChoicePoint has different silos that do the tenant screening. Um, and then there's these uh, employment background screeners, which I think they're called the, there's association for them where you can get a list of, of who they are. And, and so you could pretty much spend 
um, you know, an hour or so every day for so several weeks or months even, making sure you requested your report. And I've actually started doing this to test it. I've sent in my request um, to USIS. I've sent it into uh, possibly Axiom and, and ChoicePoint. I did get my ChoicePoint report. ChoicePoint is pretty good because yeah. you can get three of those. Your fact of disclosures are your, your work history, and that's good to know if somebody's working under your name. Your, uh, your clue history, which is your insurance history. And you can also get your free, free public records uh, search from right. them as well. And what's the third one? There's the um, well. If there's a tenant, if there's the landlord tenant, tenant, yes, tenant, that's the other one. And they have, and and there was a class action settlement. So Choice Point now gives you your full file disclosure. So right. once you do it, they give you all of those in one request. So their right. system works better. But the other ones that I've requested from, yeah, have not responded yet. I'm getting a little worried that I might have to start doing follow up just to get. Just to get access just to, to my get report. It, right. In other words, under the law, they're supposed to give it to me within you know a couple of weeks, and I ain't getting it yet. And, right. And so I have to wait and see if if the system works. The, the law is not self-enforcing. No. And so you and you know that because you're out there enforcing some of the time, and so it it can be a challenge. But it's very time-consuming, and and it just seems. Uh, that you do have these rights, you can take, you know, the penny pincher specials, just take advantage of all your free report rights, try and do the inventory to find out where these places are, find the address or, or the contact number you have to request to. There's a lot of logistics, but you can do it if you just want to devote your time to that. Exactly. And, you know, I noticed, for example, the Medical Information Bureau, when I wrote to them, they said they didn't have anything on me. So, you know, they, they are available to get these for free, but like you said, it's very time-consuming. Now, if perhaps if you're retired and this can be a, you know, a lifelong hobby <laughs> to do it, that's one thing. But if you really don't have the time, it's nice to have some kind of a, like the ID Watchdog provides this service for you. So let's talk a little bit about the database, the reason you want to get it. And that's with database corruption and problems with accuracy. You want to talk a little bit about that, Madison? Yeah, absolutely. This information that's out there is being used every day, every week to make important decisions about you. Um, these are significant decisions about where you may live, where you may work, whether or not uh, you can have access to credit, whether you can buy a car, whether you can get uh, medical treatment. So you have to understand the impact of this information. And you need to look at it because chances are it's wrong. It's painting a, an incorrect picture of who you are. And regardless of who you actually are, the decisions that are being made about you are based on this information. So first and foremost, you need to know that it's accurate. And if it's not, you need to know how, how to go about fixing it. So Evan, you testify all the time on inaccurate databases, whether it's a consumer report with the credit reporting agencies. So let's talk about really what kinds of problems there are and and um, how big of a problem it really is. Well, it's it, it can be a huge problem. I mean, if the system works the way it's supposed to, it's pretty good. But the problem is it's, it's both with the issue of, say, the mixed file, and I'll try to explain this, the mixed file that can cause inaccuracy, or the identity theft. Someone steals your identity, and then that means all the action of the thief becomes is recorded in your name. That can cause inaccuracy. And it's kind of like Russian roulette with a... 12 chamber pistol you know there's only one bullet and so there's maybe a one in 12 chance you get hit but if you get hit it really hurts the things that cause inaccuracy i mean uh first of all is is the mixed file there are you know remember there's north of 220 million people in the united states 
they have records on them, starting with the credit reports, moving all the way into public records. And they have to use identifiers. Now, the credit bureaus have gotten better over the time of trying to, they have the Social Security number, uh, they have the address, but they still allow um, mistakes in Social Security numbers or common names to cause mixed files. So if you have good credit and you're mixed with someone who has bad credit, that bad credit comes on your report. That's, that's one example. Um, so, so one thing, I want to go back in that, and yeah. I understand that, but I have a feeling that my, my audience doesn't understand that. So how does it get on there? Just explain. How does it get on your credit report that somebody else's stuff is on yours? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example is that with the credit bureaus, and they have the Social Security number, uh, they they will not require an exact match of your social security number. So by the by the creditor, yeah, if like the creditor way, an exact match means there's nine digits in your social. And so if the last digit is different, they think that's just a mistake. And though if they find enough, the way their algorithms work, if they have enough common letters in the first name, so you're Mari M A R I, and someone else is Maria. Right. And they, they'll disregard the last name because their algorithms think that women change their name and marry and change their name. And uh, so they figure, okay, social security number's close, first name is close, and that's we're going to make sure that we include all that in. And that's one of the ways that a mixed file happens. Now, what's interesting is in the pre-employment background, they're getting public records, and public records sometimes don't have the social security number in them. And so they will allow a match to happen when you have a first uh, a, a, a name a first and last name, and just a date of birth match. And if you understand, statistically, that means a lot of people. And so this recent case I saw, a poor gentleman truck driver named Tom Hall is, uh, you know, lives in Ohio, and then some Tom Hall in North Carolina had 27 pages of felonies. And that was just because they only used that very loose matching. All that stuff came on and caused him to lose a job he had applied for. Right, right. You know, I just had a, a lady this <laughs> week that I was helping that her son is 16 years old and he co-signed with his parents for a car loan with a credit union and the credit union came back and said your social security number has been used by this woman Maria Morales with your social security number since before 2000 and so she didn't see it on her credit report only the credit union saw it on their credit report and so that's a real problem because consumers don't see it. So that could be, you know, at least if they're tapping into what you're doing with ID Watchdog, maybe they're going to know that that Social Security number is being used when they wouldn't have known about it had that not have come up from the credit union. So what can you say about that, Madison? Well, that's the reason why you, you don't just want to look at your credit reports because all this information is shared in thousands of databases tens of thousands of institutions, whether they're uh, governmental agencies or whether they're private businesses, they all access this data. They keep their own records. They're shared. Um, so w once a piece of information gets out there, it's kind of like once the horse is out of the barn, you're not getting the horse back in. So looking across a broad spectrum of all of these databases is really your best chance at knowing what's out there and being alerted if something's not right with your information, particularly if it's, uh, if it's a case of identity theft where it's intentional manipulation of your databases. Right. So I told this woman what I thought was is that the woman came across the border to work in Texas and she just picked out nine numbers and it happened to be your son's number because that's really a, a difficult case of identity theft when the name is not used, just the social. 
So again, you've got these problems that you have to check the social security databases as well as the consumer databases. And, you know, do we have any access to that for free right now, Evan? Well, I mean, first of all, social security are government databases. So it's actually by the Social Security Administration. You have a right under the Privacy Act. But your last question points to something else that's very important that very few people know about. And that's the fact that when we talk about the algorithms, when, when you request your own report, they're very careful to make sure all your information matches up. Right. So they only give information about you to you. They make sure they authenticate you, make sure you are who you are, and then and they ask for like a copy of your driver's license and your social. It all checks out, and then they give you access to your report. And they're very careful to to have it be very precise and using an exact nine-digit match your social security number. So they make sure, try and make sure they're only giving you your information. But when somebody orders your report, what meaning are a commercial entity, well, could, yeah. some kind of creditor, like if you apply, or, for, right, or an employer, or a, or a landlord. Exactly. If you apply for credit or you apply for job, and they're giving one of these credit reports or a consumer report, employment background report, the attitude is completely different. They want to make sure they get maximum possible information. They don't want to miss out any dirt that might possibly have to deal with you because the consumer reporting agency will be blamed by the creditor for missing out information they're supposed to have or the employer will blame you for not catching this criminal thing. So that's why they use the looser algorithms to make sure they throw anything that might relate to you. Now, the big battle for us is, is that a reasonable procedure for maximum possible accuracy? That's what the law requires. That's why this is sort of a rising tension because if you just have a name and a date of birth match for such a common name, we don't think that's, you know, that's a, that's a max that's a good procedure. No. And so that's why this fight ain't going away. Right. Let me ask you Madison, so if someone signs up for your service with ID Watchdog and they want to get all these different background checks of all the different consumer reports, Will they be able to see if someone else is using their social, and will they be able to get a name like we did? I mean, I had to literally fight this credit union to, to give it to me, but it was on legal letterhead. So tell me, if, is this going to help someone like my client this week? Absolutely. One part of the, of the information that we gather and put together for you as, a, as an ID watchdog client is social security number traces. So that's a search of where social security numbers are located in many of these databases and the, the identity characteristics that may be attached to that particular social security number. So, for example, if that, if that social security number is out there and somebody else's name is attached to it, there's a good chance that will show up in the social security trace, whether it's in uh, a public record database somewhere or whether it's a, uh, connected to a financial record. Searching all of those is likely to turn that up. Yeah. In this case, it was a, a work. It would be a work history, which I told him to check the work history. And I found out, like, when I was testing our ID watchdog service, um, first you, you submit your identifiers, and then they use your identifiers to pull out what combination of name, address, social security numbers, phone numbers, and what's the fifth one? Birthday, Birthday date of birth. They find out, so what, what, what's associated with your baseline? And I got the report back showing, you know, I'm 53 years old. So they showed the the apartment address, not the house address that I rented in 1977 when I first moved to Arlington, Virginia. Wow. It went all the way back, but and then it went on, and and there was um, a woman named Kimberly, 
and it showed she had a very similar social security number and she was being associated with me. Now, I've never been named Kimberly. Not I even bet the your time wife didn't like to hear about that. Exactly. <laughs> not even the time I played Tootsie in the school play. And, and, and it turned out that it was so when, you, when these identifiers come up in the first um, round of screening that Identity Watchdog does, then you pull the second thing is go to level two, and that's your snapshot, which is your big consumer report, which gets the details. And it showed that this woman had one digit different in her social security number. But one time it got transposed, so we had an exact match on our social security oh. number. And even though I've never been named Kimberly and she's never been named Evan, there we were together in a consumer report. Right, right. Which could be scary because somehow that could be used later at some other time if she ever found out about it. And I had a case, actually, that this actually happened where um, this is a woman from Vermont who had um, somehow her husband had the same name and they were like one off on their social security number. And uh, one of the creditors um, mixed them up. And the guy in Michigan called the woman in Vermont and said, did you know that I got your information and here it is, I'm sending it back to you. And she said, oh, thank you. I'm so glad that you were able to tell us. And he goes, yeah, you have to be careful. He ended up stealing their identity about 10 years later. And he's in jail now. But this is, this is exactly what happens. So you never know what's going to happen when somebody has all that data about you. And especially in the economy this time, people might say, well, you know what? This is pretty easy. I don't have to rob a bank. I, I don't have to steal food. All I have to do is, you know, steal a name and a social security number and get some credit, and, and I can feed my family. It's, uh, I think we're going to see that it's getting worse in this economy. It's, yeah. it's very, very scary indeed. And uh, when, when the economy turns down, then generally crime goes up. And now that we're in an information economy, information's the best way to commit the crime. And I've, uh, offhand, what are the statistics about how many identity thieves are actually caught? One in 700, maybe? Yeah. And um, not even half of those are ultimately prosecuted. Yeah, and Mari's caught about half of them. <laughs> and uh, one, one quick point about uh, what can happen when a thief has your information. And you mentioned that uh, 10 years later, in, in that case, um, the damage started happening. Um, one of the trends that we're seeing these days in some of some of the most extreme cases of identity theft is that the thieves actually protect the identity that they steal. So uh, a very recent example, one of our clients has a, easily a 10-page rap sheet of crimes committed in North Carolina and Florida. And, of course, uh, our client is, doesn't live there, nothing to do with, with him. But what this thief has done is every time he gets in trouble, he pays the fine, he serves the time, so that no serious triggers ever come up. For example, if, uh, if he didn't spend his time in jail, um, if he didn't pay the fines, there would be collection accounts showing up on the credit report. There would be all kinds of triggers that warrants. many, uh, there would be open yeah. warrants. And this would have, uh, even if our client hadn't been watching his data, this would have triggered something long ago. Right. But instead, they protect it. They, pay, they make sure nothing goes to collections. They make sure th they spend time in jail so that no open warrants come out. Right. And that way, they're, they can go on and on and on and on. You 
losing until the identity such time until that, yeah that they no longer can can play the game and then they have to run and then of course the victim gets caught yeah you know i just i don't know if you know about this but one of uh, on our on our listserv i got a email from an attorney and i had never heard this one that an identity thief who had committed financial identity theft actually sued under his victim's name and social security number sued several of the creditors so so he lost and it actually is a very bad case because it's bad for consumers but now there is this judgment against the victim who never i mean he did he never sued these companies it wasn't even his credit report so i had never heard that one yet i'd heard of filing bankruptcy in someone's name because if you file bankruptcy someone can't evict you from an apartment you can't be foreclosed upon during the bankruptcy proceeding i'd heard of that i heard of the criminal stuff but i had never heard of actually filing a lawsuit uh, against someone else for uh, against a creditor like that it just amazed definitely me. an all-star in the hall of shame <laughs> to be an identity thief and then go at to go to court still using the poor victim's name and, to be try, a and, and then do and then defraud the court and then lose and then make a record worse for the victim exactly not only the victim but all consumers all consumers right yeah that one is is insane okay so let's talk about these big systemic problems what is serial manipulation well, that's that's the process of identity theft. Um, you don't go one second to being free and clear and the next second being a victim. Um, the way that identity theft actually occurs, it's a process. So first, if I'm the thief, what I need to do is get a few of, of your key identifiers. Um, any combination of your name, your social security number, addresses, phone number, birth date, these, these key identifiers. And then I need to manipulate them. I need to uh, create a slightly different identity before I can actually go out and start profiting from this crime. Well, you so have to have a different address. Right. <laughs> That's your major difference that you have to have so that you can have a place where you can get the credit and be hidden, right? Exactly. And so there's a process of establishing that. Um, as you said, I can't take all of your information exactly as it is and go apply for credit because then you'll just receive a, a new credit card right. and uh, I'll never get it. So what I need to do is establish a new address, um, in which case I get, for example, I, I establish a utility account. Now I've got the new address there, but all the rest of your information. So now y you're paying for that utility account. I have the bill to show that it's valid. Then I can take that and I can get a, a cell phone using your information with that other address. Um, next thing I need to do is get a photo ID. So because That's I can easy. prove, <laughs> then I get, now I have a photo ID with my photo, your information. I have a new address established. I have to get all of these things in place before I can really go out on a shopping spree. Right. Well, how about medical identity stuff? That's something that's really growing now. And, uh... Why don't you talk about that, Evan? Well, it, I mean, medical identity theft takes a couple different um, ugly scenarios. And I suppose one is the person goes into the emergency room 
and gets uh, medical treatment and then gives the, someone else's name, the name of a victim and their social security number to say, here, I'm the patient. And they get the treatment in the emergency room and then they create a bill and then that creates a medical bill for the victim. And then there are other types of insurance fraud where you know people on the inside of an insurance company or a medical provider are taking people's data like just innocent patients data and then applying for benefits or other sort of health payments in their name and so the people a lot of times people don't find out of this until years later right. so that's just another type of medical identity theft and our colleague Pam Dixon has done a really good job of colleague uh, cataloging this right yeah I'm trying to think who hasn't been on your show <laughs> Muhammad Ali hasn't been on yet right <laughs> no, but yet. Pam Dixon World Privacy Forum has got tremendous information about this at mm -hmm. her website mm -hmm. and we see you know that's why we're kind of proud of ID Watchdog too because we have um, our level three is the we have a resolution service so if you're a client of id watchdog you get a monitoring service that monitors your identifiers every month if you know something happens we pull the snapshot to level two but then if we find out the snapshot shows that oh my god the, the bad identity theft's going on the resolution is included and the guarantee is id watchdog does not stop working until the problem is solved and we'll take it as far as it needs to and that's why the, the i think the, the most rewarding part is the handful of cases we've had over the last year where we've actually bagged the perp and we've got the the thief caught arrested and put in jail and that's a sure better way to stop the identity theft. right because you want to stop it not only for the one victim but for all future yes, victims yeah. as well let's get back to this issue of medical identity theft because it's not just about money it's in that case if someone gets a certain uh, let's say they find out that they have aids you know your imposter has aids or they have some other disease that would keep you from getting a job or getting uh, health insurance health insurance life insurance right all those things so it's far beyond just money because money if you if someone takes your credit you're not going to be responsible for all the money that was lost but if somebody takes your health care away from you now you have to try and prove that wasn't you i actually had a woman here in Orange County that someone with a similar name uh, stole her identity and she was bipolar, had all these mental diseases and so no one believed this victim saying, oh, she's just bipolar. So it's it's even more frightening when it's a medical health in, you know issue. Don't you think, Evan, uh, M Madison? I agree and not to be too extreme here, but consider the possibility of this. A thief has your identity, needs a serious, costly medical procedure, doesn't have the money to pay for it. So they have this procedure done under your name. You're going to get stuck with the bill. Right. They have a different blood type than you do, and right. that's changed in your medical records as part of, uh, part of the logging of that procedure they had. Sometime after that, you're in an accident, you're uh, unconscious, you're taken to the hospital, and whatever life-saving uh, procedures need to happen for you, they, they go ahead with, but you're not responsive. They don't realize that the blood type that's in your records is not your actual blood type. That's devastating. That's way beyond, obviously, financial losses or right. even the inability to get insurance. It's yeah. a matter of life and death. Yeah, you know, I had a woman, this was years ago, probably... 15 years ago that she came to me she was um, she went to Chicago and put her briefcase and her purse on the conveyor belt and it was stolen 
and she didn't know it, but that night a woman used her identity to have a baby. So here she ends up not only finding out that she has this huge hospital bill, but somewhere uh, there is, she has a daughter that, you know, is born to her, supposedly. So you never know what kind of future problems that could bring. Well, and there's, you know, the this, this, the scariness escalates. I don't know if Lloyd can put on the scary music for the background <laughs> here. Uh, but, you know, like, my favorite Harvard Law professor, Elizabeth Warren, has shown that really the main cause, the primary cause of people going into bankruptcy is a medical crisis that forms, uh, you know, forces all these uh, medical bills on that suddenly they can't handle. Some people even had insurance, but they found out the insurance couldn't cover it. Right. Now, that's, that's we know that's been happening for several last several years. Now jump forward to the fact that there is a huge movement afoot now, which is a rational thing, but they want to electronify all patient records. This is part of our stimulus package. On one level, it's rational, but if you don't get the privacy and security right, I mean, this is just going to be a potential nightmare uh, just to have, because so much identity theft happens, you know, at healthcare institutions with people who work to having access to this information. Or and just the, errors, just right, plain just, errors. Just Somebody error. puts it in, they're tired, it's late at night. Somebody comes into the emergency room and they put down the wrong social security number, right? Or they spell the name wrong or the birthday. It, it, it can happen. And that's really a big issue right now, this whole issue of all digital records, because you know, our new president wants to have that. What do you think about that? And are you going to be testifying on this? Well, it's just, you know, I've been around long enough, and it's ironic because I do remember when Hillary Clinton was the first lady, and her first portfolio was trying to get uh, comprehensive health insurance in place, which, again, is the right thing to do. But she mistakenly looked at privacy back then as something that was just, you know, going to get in the way as opposed to something that really, unless you get it right, you're not going to get buy-in. Yeah, we got to be, it's not like you can just take Parmesan cheese and sprinkle it in at the end of your <laughs> pasta sauce. You've got to bake it into the sauce from the beginning. And I think there's a little bit of that going on with the, the Obama team. Doesn't I'm not sure they've, I think they're back where Hillary was, where now Hillary totally understands this, but she's not in this field anymore. She's the Secretary of State. Right. So it makes total sense to, to cut costs and save money by having, but it just shows how having a privacy and security first is an integral part of it and has to be done if you really want that system to work. Right. I mean, if we look at the credit bureaus and what, how long have we, we had the Fair Credit Reporting Act? Since, since the 1970. Seven, since 1970, right? And then, of course, it, there's been amendments and, and then FACTA in 2003. So we're still trying to get those records accurate and you, you testify in all those inaccuracies all the time. It's, it's something that's still happening. So we don't even have that under control, let alone not have some kind of a uh, composite mm -hmm. procedure for mm -hmm. medical records. And the, the extent that the credit bureaus, the big three, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, and we see this at ID Watchdog too, the extent that they actually have better procedures and more standardized ways of reporting and recording information, a lot of that has been forced on them by this good law and the enforcement and of it. And so And lawsuits, <laughs> right, the enforcement of it through private lawsuits, and sometimes right. the FTC does something. Um, and so in the evolution of it all, they're, they're almost standing upright. But some of these other newer consumer reporting agencies are still the knuckle-draggers. You know, you see them sort of stooped over, and, and that's their evolutionary phase right now. That's how crude it really is. And I'm just wondering, and, and I guess I can ask Madison this, I mean, are we ever going to get medical information that you know have bureaus that are going to be like the credit bureaus that that manage all of this data so that we can correct errors i mean is that something that you think is going to happen 
for medical data? Well, uh, a current example of how that is already beginning to happen is these databases of um, your prescription histories. This is something that's already out there, right. and it's a r really scary concept because imagine what an employer could do. Imagine what um, an identity thief that's, uh, that's involved with drugs could do uh, with your prescription history. Well, it's there, and it's already accessible. The problem is, is that it's kind of been hidden from you and I, the average consumers that probably care the most about it. Exactly. And the, the debate that's going on is whether we have a right to see that and what the practical channel is. Can I, can I go and order my prescription report today? I'm not sure I could. Yeah. Well, actually, you can. I, I remember seeing that. I think you had an article about that, and I actually went and wrote to them. Now, this is this is pretty funny because when I wrote to them, I met, you had it in your, your uh, privacy, pri times, privacy yeah. times. I went to the website, and then I wrote an email. And um, when I wrote an email, they wanted me to give my social in the email. And I said to them, mm. no, I will send it to, I will encrypt it and mm. send it to you and I'll call you with the encryption you know uh, password and um, so that was uh, that one I did and then when I got it back she said I'm going to send it to you now your report I'm going to send you your report now in one email and I will send you the password in another and I said don't do that <laughs> <laughs> because the, the you know the, you should never be doing I wrote back and I was very upset I said no call me with the password because if I have two emails sitting in my box and someone can have access to that email they could easily look and open up my my report yeah. so I mean they haven't thought these through. And no, the, the, they have the, not the, thought and these through. And the thing through. about these this is what I mean about being knuckle draggers that these prescription drug um, uh, consumer reporting agencies first of all they didn't realize they, they weren't aware of the Fair Credit Reporting Act they didn't know that they had that they were selling information that was they were a third party selling information that was being used to judge people you know health insurers were buying the information to screen them that makes them a consumer reporting agency they didn't know it the FTC stepped in took an action and informed them and so when I did my story yeah. I was I, I got there's two of them I got one of them to return my call and engaged with him and I said, okay, well, since you are a consumer reporting agency, how does a consumer get a copy of their report? And he says, That's oh, just – Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and he says, oh, just tell them to call me. <laughs> that, was, that was the extent that he thought about it. And I said, well, I think you need something more systematic than that for people to get access I to mean, their I reports. I don't think they – if people really knew about it, not, you know, I don't know how many people read your newsletter, uh -huh. but as soon as I saw that, I immediately went and – phone called it and you know, did the phone call went to the website but if everybody did that they'd be overwhelmed right yeah yeah you're right they didn't really look through that at all no so madison i should introduce you again we've been talking so quickly you didn't remind me to introduce them again we're, we're sitting with two friends of mine who i really honor they do great work for consumers and for our whole society we're speaking with evan hendricks who is the publisher of Privacy Times for how many years? 29 years? 29 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, I've only been getting it 15 years. So. That's right. Well, you're a lot younger than I am. No, there. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> and Madison Ayer, who is the vice president of policy at uh, ID Watchdog, and you can go to idwatchdog.com. And I thank you, Madison. You're doing great work, too. So at least I got to introduce you again. So we've got privacytimes.com and idwatchdog.com. So if you're listening, you can go and, and look at those websites right away. 
So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about consumer data. Now let me see. What am I? I'm take, change my well, mind. Well, I was no. going to say while you look at that, it's nice thing about being on KUCI is that you have a lot of Hollywood scriptwriters that are <laughs> going to come up with new ideas for <laughs> for compelling shows to, and I your listeners. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, Madison, your organization has, oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. They've been working with law enforcement, not only in Colorado, but lots of different places. Tell us some of the good, juicy stories. Well, as, as Evan mentioned earlier, it, it's really fulfilling both for, uh, both for us and our employees and for our clients that are victims of identity theft to actually be able to track down the thief and get them put in jail. Um, talk about closing the book on identity theft, that's ultimately the only way it's going to be done. And so just recently, this, this is something that's actually just happening, um, and it began last week. Um, one of our clients, we, we noticed a significant amount of both felonies, misdemeanors, convictions that had taken place over the past six or seven years under our client's name. And our client had not known about any of these. Um, luckily for them, it, it had never come up. It never inconvenienced them. Um, and that is pretty... He business or, or wasn't changing jobs, right? Exactly. It surely would have come up in a background check. Yeah. Um, he worked for the same government. He worked for the same government agency for two decades or something. Oh, yeah. Big, so stable yeah. employment helped that. Um, but in pulling records, we, we discovered this. And... We noticed that there were very recent incidents uh, within the last six months, and they were all happening in in one area in Jacksonville, actually. And so Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. And so we've been collaborating with uh, police in Jacksonville, and based on information, some other information in the report that was the result of identity theft, including a utility account that was recently established at an address in Florida. We were able to use that information, provide it to the Jacksonville uh, detectives, and they went and actually went to the address that, that we'd identified as the most recent one. And the thief was sitting on the porch enjoying the day. And uh, they Using went somebody up. else's name and they asked money. for They <laughs> asked him for his name and ID. He presented the, uh, the forged documents, and uh, they took him into custody. And at the at the station, he confessed to everything. And the important thing here is that it was the identity ID watchdog snapshot, that larger consumer report that showed that the new information on this new uh, utility account had had come in, tipping it off that it was in in Jacksonville. And then it was a matter of peeling the onion down until, sure enough, uh, we were able to make the call. And that's one of the one of the interesting things, and in why uh, again it's fulfilling s situations like this. It's very difficult to to track down identity thieves, and uh, it's very difficult for law enforcement because most of the time the crimes are not happening in the jurisdiction where the thief is. The victim right. and the thief are nowhere Li near each yeah, other. They live in different states, and so it's uh, it's virtually impossible to. Um, to have the motivation to go and track them down. And so by collaborating um, across different states and with this information and uh, being able to provide information that's actionable to the police in the right jurisdiction, 
it's actually we're seeing a, a, a slowly but surely developing trend that finding identity thieves is possible. Um, taking them into custody, and we'll see about how the prosecution goes with this. Well, that's good. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that when you're a victim of identity theft, you have the right to get copies of all the data about the fraud from the creditor. Uh, you know, that's uh, as part of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. A lot of people don't know that. And then, of course, a lot of companies don't know that, so they fight it until you actually show them that aspect of the law. But once you get that data, that's how you can find the thief. And you, you're absolutely right that you know law enforcement isn't going to care. If, if you live in Colorado and your thief is in, in California, they're not going to care about you in Colorado. They have enough identity theft here in California to try and resolve. But if you have everything on a silver platter for the Colorado agency, and then they will contact the California agency, then you have a real good chance of catching the thief. So it's really important that the victim get as much information, if whether they use ID Watchdog or whether they write for that information themselves, because that's how you can catch them. But law enforcement tells me that they only actually investigate about 10% of the cases, at least out here in California. And of those 10% that they actually investigate, only 10% do they even prosecute. Right, and that's that really makes sense because there's so much identity theft. Um, it's a very squishy crime to investigate. It's like sometimes like trying to nail Jello to the wall. <laughs> I uh, love your and, analogies. And, Where do you get uh, these things? Uh, well, it's because you're a writer. I've been practicing for a long time. <laughs> um, and... You know, it's and, and the police. I mean, look what's going to be happening. The police have always had never had the resources they need. Right. Okay, now it's going to be tougher on them. Between homeland security right, yeah. and hard crimes, right, and all those demands on them. So, the what's been the the our what we feel good about, like in work we've done at ID Watchdog, is that you said it. We we have to create the silver platter and hand it to law enforcement. Or yes. if we're trying to get uh, a creditor to correct something or a court to correct a, a bad arrest record, we found that if we do give it to them on the silver platter, we get action. Yes. But if you just go from scratch and saying, they, they just throw up their hands saying, I don't have time for this, and I don't right. blame them. No, you oh, know, Consumers no. don't have time for it either. No, they yeah. don't have time for it, and they don't have the resources. Right. They don't have the resources to investigate. And, and I should go back and say that under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, not only can you as a consumer victim get all documents of the fraud, but you can force the company to send it to the investigator who is investigating, who, you know, the person who took the police report and provide it to them on a silver platter. So that's great, too. What were you going to say, Madison? Were you, it looked like you were going to say something. Okay, so um, so if somebody wants to get started, what do they have to do to, to get ID Watchdog? Well, it's a process of um, signing up for the monitoring service, and that's the level one. That's, uh, yep, there's, um, we're going to take you on as a client, and we need to uh, verify your identity, first of all. And this is done either through the website or uh, the phone. Any time during business hours, we've got very friendly, helpful people ready to help you through the process. Um, the website, of course, is idwatchdog.com, and uh, it's very self-explanatory, and it's an easy sign-up process there. 
Um, and the phone numbers, all the contact information is there. If you'd rather speak to somebody and uh, if you have some questions, if it just makes you feel more comfortable, then by all means, we get your identity verified with a couple simple questions. Uh, we want to make sure it's you. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to have a, <laughs> a, a fraudster sign up with your name and get all the information about you, get even more information about you. So that's kind of a delicate balance there. It is, and security first. So before anything happens, before we take any more information or request any reports, we, we do want to verify your identity with a series of questions. Right. So we'll go. We'll send them to idwatchdog.com. Now, what about what about Evan? Evan, I wanted to ask you. So, tell them where they can learn more about Privacy Times. Well, we have our little website called privacytimes.com, and you can learn about our, we have a nice old-fashioned newsletter. It's like the old-fashioned Kiplinger newsletter that covers Congress and the courts and changes in information policy and, and some consumer news, too, the data breaches that come out and all that. Um, then um, I think something that's also we're very proud of that we publish is my book, Credit Scores and Credit Reports. That has its own website, creditscoresandcreditreports.com, uh, and you can get all the information on you know what's in there and if if it's something for you. But the thing about the book, Credit Scores and Credit Reports dot com, is that it tells it, all the inside secrets. That's why well, I love that. Well, book. and it's like kind of like the physician physician's desk reference. And yes. But if you have the book and you loan it out to someone, you won't get it back. So it's, right. it's that kind of book. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to ask you with the economy the way it is and credit being so tight. Uh, what do you see coming here with you know? Credit scores that you used to say, like, you know, if you if you have several credit cards, that's good, and then you, you use a little bit on each one, and then you'll have this uh, big cushion if you have a high limit. They're cutting limits now. Evan, what's happening? Well, that's, I mean, this is, they, they, they like, uh, Fair Isaac uh, and, and others tell us that the average credit score is, like, you know, above, or 40% of people have credit scores above 720. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to believe because, like you mentioned, one thing that's going on, credit card companies are reducing credit limits. 30% of your score depends on how maxed out you are on your credit cards. So if they reduce the limits, that's going to make you look more maxed out. That's going to drive the whole nation's credit score down. So I expect that just as our financial, we have financial problems, this is for consumers, the same thing will be happening. There will be a degrading of, of consumers' credit worthiness in a systematic way, and it's just going to put a lot more pressure on consumers, and it's going to continue this downward uh, tightening spiral. Yeah, and, and then we're going to end up with lower scores. Yes, I, I just don't see any way of, of, around it now. And that's why when I wrote the first edition of this book in 2004, it was kind of interesting. Credit scores, well, that's really pretty interesting. Now it's essential. I mean, you really, uh, if you don't, you having that credit score that, that gets you like above 720, above 740, that makes you eligible uh, used to be just for the best rates. Now, in some places, like it's going to be if hard. If you don't to have, get, you can't get a yeah, house. Yeah, you can't get anything with an apartment. It. Nothing. So it used to be interesting. Now it is essential, and so it's just all the importance and the the pressure on it has just grown. Right. So, and Madison, you think that with all of this economy the way it is, that we're going to see more identity theft as well? Correct. I think absolutely. Uh, as people get desperate. Um, and more and more people coming from white-collar jobs where they've been in financial services industries. Um, they had access to consumer data, consumer financial data. Right. Um, if you've been sitting at a, a desk for the last 15 years and you're desperate now, well, what's easier? Are, are you going to go out and get a gun and hold somebody up? 
or are you just going to use the box of files that you took with you and profit handsomely from it? Or the thumb it? drive with the whole database, right? Exactly. Exactly. The information's out there. Right. Well, we're going to make sure that our audience takes a look at idwatchdog.com and privacytimes.com. And we thank you guys so much for coming to California, sitting on the boat, getting a little sunshine, warming up, and sharing all your great thoughts with us. Thank you. Thank you, Mari. And thanks to you and to KUCI. Yeah, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here. Also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests, listen to our archived interviews, and download our podcasts, and write us about what you want to find out about privacy in the information age. Thank you. Good night. Stay private. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.